Welcome to Raising Resilient Children in the Age of Digital Dependency Micro Audio Summit, designed especially to help you, moms and dads, to have better relationships with your kids, more confidence in your parenting, and less stress in your life. Throughout these interviews, you'll hear speakers who will share life-changing tools and strategies that you can quickly and easily follow and use with your family, starting today. I'm your host, Kathy Vamanthisen, 20-year mom, 30-year educator, and creator of Conversation. I am so excited to bring you these expert interviews. Let's get started. You are going to love this topic. Today, I'm chatting with my good friend, Claire Ford, about knowing the one key question to ask to ensure motivation, fulfillment, and success for children and young adults. And before we dive into the conversation, let me tell you a bit about Claire. Claire Ford is an award-winning international author, speaker, coach, healer, educator, and parent who is passionate about ensuring that children are switched-on learners, accessing their natural gifts, abilities, and talents to discover their true potential and live purposefully by learning how to write and communicate confidently and competently. Founder of Switched On, the global online academy, and an academic coach with over 20 years experience, Claire combines her unique skill set using her Switched On learning philosophy to unlock the brilliance in your child, tween, or teen. With that in mind, how are you, Claire? Thank you so much for having me here, Kathy. I am feeling great and I am really delighted and excited to be here with you having this combination experience. Thank you so much for joining me. It's so special to have you. So today we're delving into the topic, knowing the one key question to ask to ensure motivation, fulfillment, and success for children and young adults, which focuses on growth mindset tools. So one of the things that I'm really curious in learning is what motivated you to build the Switched On Academy? Oh, yes. Thank you for asking me. So uh, like you, I've been in the education space for many years, for several decades, which is a bit frightening to think about. And the pandemic really highlighted for us, many of us educators already knew, but the pandemic really highlighted the issues and the problems that there are in the education system, how it's outmoded, not really fit for purpose, teachers are burning out, etc. Now, I used to kind of shy away from saying that I was a teacher, right? Here in the UK, teachers are given a pretty poor rap, uh, not necessarily highly respected, not necessarily well paid. It wasn't a great thing to shout to the world that you're a teacher, right? So I used to uh, run a coaching company and do some tutoring on the side and, and kind of keep that aspect of my life ticking along. And then during lockdown, on one of the walks that I was allowed to have, I got this kind of knock from the universe, like this kind of knock on, on the back of my shoulder and this whisper in my head from, from my higher self, from, from the divine, whatever you want to call it, saying, you have to tell people you're a teacher. And I'm like, ah, no, I don't want to do that, right? I've been burnt out from teaching. I'm like, it's hard. I don't want to say I'm a teacher, right? So I carried on doing my other stuff. I went for a walk the next week. 
even louder this time. Like, like literally somebody was like banging on my head saying, you have to say you are a teacher. It is time. You can help a lot of people. Like you need to own this. This is your gift. This is what you're here for. I'm like, oh, crikey. Okay. Well, the voice has got definitely louder. And I know that I need to follow my intuition, even if I'm trying to ignore it from my mental state. So I was like, okay, let's see what happens. And so I started the home education hub, which was a place that parents could come with all their problems. Like, I've got my child. Oh, I don't know what to do. Please help me. And then from that, I developed the Switched On Academy in response really to the global pandemic in response to people asking for help. I thought I've got 20 years of resources on this computer. Like what would take one poor parent hours going down the black hole of Google and CGP and Twinkle and everything else? I can literally put my finger on it in two seconds, right? So I'm thinking this is how I can now have an impact in the world, support young people, support parents and support my own mental health in a way that it's a win for everybody. And so I called it switched on because what I was seeing, and you've probably seen the same, Kathy, people were coming to me and their kids were bored, right? They were bored. They didn't know what they were doing. And this is why parents were struggling. And I'm like, right, these kids and parents actually need to switch back onto learning. We need to understand yeah. what the real motivation and purpose is for being a lifelong learner, right? And it's not just to tick a box that you can email the school and the teacher can tick it off and say, yes, you've done it, right? It's not that. So that's what motivated me to take it on a deeper level and to really understand how we can re-motivate, re-engage our students to get the most out of them. And it's funny, you took something that was terrible in this world and you used that time to make something amazing for parents because I know parents were struggling. I heard it all the time. Exactly that. The group grew very quickly. I had other expert speakers in there. We were also looking at different things because with the switched on philosophy, we, we look at emotional well-being, spiritual well-being money because people were like, well, how do I homeschool my kids? It's so expensive, right? So we were looking at all these different things and, and bringing this as part of the curriculum, the mindset tools, the emotional well-being tools. How do you avoid burnout? How do you have better conversations with your child? How do you get them to do things? How do you have boundaries when you need to get on with your work and they're coming and pestering you, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? Right. All of these things were coming up when you've got several people. Some people have like four kids at home and a partner, right? And, and one's trying to be on the internet. The other one's gaming. The partner's on a business call. They're trying to, it's like, right? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, let's think about, let's think about all of this, holding space for all of this, because we know that a tired, angry, anxious, frustrated child cannot learn. Their brain isn't engaged in the right way. And we also know as conscious educators and conscious parents that what we're putting out, our child is reflecting back to us. And so if we want that different behavior, if we want a different, we want a calmer household, whatever it is we want, we have to step into being that ourselves as well. Yeah. And so it was about opening up those kinds of conversations rather than just how can I get my child to learn their times tables. And I know everyone wants a, a more peaceful household. So why is it important to incorporate emotional well-being 
and personal development. Like, so how does this make children more resilient? Yeah. So the thing is, I think what people were really, and are, unfortunately, I'm not sure we've learned as many lessons from the pandemic as we could have done, because there's a lot of, oh, let's go back to the old ways and the old exams and everything else. But I like to think of it as the pyramid. So if you imagine a pyramid in the ocean and we just see the tip of the pyramid and the tip of the pyramid is like the grades, right? That's like, I want my child to get a nine GCSE A grades or whatever it is you have in the country where you're listening. You want them to, to do well, right? And so all we're focused on as parents, as educators and the children themselves is the grades. What did you get in your spellings? Did you come first in the race? <laughs> right? All the things. Even if it's extracurricular, did you swim the 50 meters the fastest, right? Have you beaten your personal best? All of that. We're looking at the top of the pyramid. But what we fail to understand, and this is what I've done at Switched On, is like I've almost turned it all on its head, is that underneath that tip of the pyramid, the bit that we're all focusing on, there's so much that has to be done to get there, right? And the first things that have to be put in place is making sure that somebody feels okay in themselves because otherwise they're not going to have the confidence. They're not going to have the resilience. They're not going to have the perseverance. They're going to take the first knockback or the first piece of feedback, which they perceive as criticism. And that's it. They're done. Throwing the pens up in the air. I'm not doing it anymore. Forget it. Can't do it. Can't learn. Can't do maths. No, 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 no. You can. But we need to find a different way. So it's, that's why the emotional well-being and the growth mindset tools are so critical because they're building the positive learning habits that everybody needs to become a, a successful lifelong learner. And then the personal development pieces are all around understanding those triggers. Well, why did that person saying that make me so cross, right? What is it? Why do I feel I need to compare myself to others? Why do I always want to win? Or why do I give up at the first hurdle? Like ask, asking these questions and being a bit reflective about this is so important. And in fact, that downtime that we had during the pandemic was the ideal opportunity for families to reflect on these kinds of issues before they got back into the busyness of running off to, to basketball and whatever, soccer and everything else, piano classes and ballet and everything after. Right? There's no time for these kinds of conversations and reflections which are absolutely crucial because once some of those pieces are in place, then we can easily get the grades at the top of the, of the iceberg that everybody's looking at. Yeah. But if the underneath is a bit flaky, if that ice is melting, if it's not very strong, if it cracks straight away, the water gets in, well, then the iceberg is all wobbly and it doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah, it's like fix the inside first and then everything else will fall into place. Yes. And so often in the education space, especially I have seen that everybody worries about being externally motivated or well done. We say, don't we, as parents, we have to really, really think about the premise that we're giving the child. As teachers, we're trained a bit more in that, but it can just easily tip off the tongue. Things like, oh, you did that, that you're a good girl or you're a good boy. Mm -hmm. Well, no. Their goodness is not linked in any way to whether they got a 10 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10 in their maths test, right? Yes. And so it's really about being mindful of that and empowering young people to become intrinsically motivated. That means motivate themselves from the inside, not looking outside to other people to give them the kudos. 
So yeah. it's all about staying in your own lane, running your own race, all these things we've heard of. But it's like, well, have I done, have I done well for me? Have I done better than I did yesterday? Right. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, if we've got time, I've got a, a, a small anecdote about that that I can share. Yeah, go ahead. One of my students, um, Mia came to me. She was, she was 14 and she had maths anxiety, severe maths anxiety, and she'd been doing badly in class uh, because she got left behind because she didn't want to put her hand up to be signaled out by the teacher. Like, oh my gosh, she's put her hand up. I'm definitely going to ask her. And then, so she didn't want to put her hand up if she knew an answer because she was embarrassed in case it was wrong. She didn't want to put her hand up if she didn't know an answer because she didn't want to look stupid in front of her peers. And so as a result, she kept falling further and further behind. And when she first came to me, I think the average grade that she was getting in, in a maths test was about 3%. She was at the bottom of the class, basically. Her and two friends were at the bottom of the class. Mm -hmm. And she knew that for her to be successful later on in, in whatever career, she wanted to be a midwife, actually, that she would need to get a decent maths GCSE, at least a pass, right, to go on and do other things. So she asked her mum, she said, I need help with maths. Bless her, when she first came to see me, she was literally shaking on the doorstep. This is the days where we could have people coming to our houses. And I was like, right, come in. And so I just made her a cup of tea and I sat down and I said, well, well done for even getting here. Like, well done for putting one foot in front of the other. She was so full of fear. Like, talk about feel the fear and do it anyway and take one step and the next step. That's what she had to do to get to my house, right? And then, so that first session, we didn't even do maths. Like, there's no point in doing maths when there's a student who's in that state, okay? And so this is where... It's understanding, meeting the student where they're at, but also understanding where the emotional piece has to come in, right? I gave her breathing exercises to calm her down, right? To get that fight, flight, freeze, to get all that cortisol reduced. And we just talked about this trauma, this trauma. She was literally traumatized from her maths lesson. Now, fast forward a few weeks, she was coming. We were learning the maths, some quick, easy wins. She was learning her tables. She was putting the work in. We were doing the stuff. She went for a test at school and she texted me afterwards. So first of all, the fact that she even went in for the test was a miracle because otherwise she would have been at home with anxiety, school refusal, point blank, not gone in, right? Mm -hmm. So she actually went in for a maths test, which was huge. Even if she'd just written her name on the top of the paper, she did the test and she texted me back and she said, can she said, I got 42%, right? Now, I'm going to handle the heart, be honest with you. When I first heard that as an educator, I was like, oh, that's not that high. That is what I thought. That's the first thought that went through my head. And I had to stop myself because here's the thing about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and judgment, right? I judged that mark based on people should be getting 60% to pass. But then I was like, okay, let's just put that to one side because that was a very quick judgment call by me, which was inaccurate. And let's actually look at the bigger picture here in this child's journey, this young person's journey to get to that place. She's actually gone up 40%, right? And she's gone from a person who was terrified and trembling to even think about maths to somebody who was confident enough to go in and sit down and do a test, mm -hmm. right? So that's huge. And so for her, that intrinsic motivation, she was delighted with herself. And so that gave her fuel, added fuel to the fire. I think she said her teacher said, have you had a, a brain transplant or something? Like, we've never seen you in this level of grades. Like, what's going on? 
her parents were delighted. And of course, this then motivated her and gave her the confidence to carry on and try a few more harder things to boost her grade higher still. So let's not just judge by those silly numbers and letters that kids are getting, because that is really not the whole story. It's actually that inner journey, like you said, we start with healing from the inside. Mm. It's that inner journey that those young people are, are taking, which is what I feel we need to pay more attention to. Yeah. That's a great story. And it really points to that when you told me the grade, the first thing I thought was, oh, but then I immediately went to, wow, that's 40% more than her, her last test. That's huge. And that like for a kid, no, yes, I know it's not passing, but at the same time, that is such a victory. That's such a victory for her. You were sharing that. That was fantastic. So you've talked about Switched On. So what I'm curious about is what are the core pillars of the Switched On learning philosophy and how do these relate to building digital literacy for learners? Yes. Yeah, so what I discovered was, why was I getting these successes with these students? This is what I was asking. What am I doing differently? What is it that under, what I'm putting out and switched on that's getting this success? And I really thought about it and, and came up with these three key pillars, which are very also in alignment with the way that I am and, and the way that I teach. And so the first one is curiosity, right? Which is also about the one key question to ask to ensure the motivation and the, and the success and the fulfillment is asking why, why are we even learning this, right? If we can't adequately answer that as a parent and as an educator, then the child is, in my view, absolutely entitled to be disengaged and switched off because they're wasting their time. And time is the one resource that, is, that we can't get back, right? So let's not waste anybody's time. If we can't give a good enough reason of why we're learning something, then learn, don't learn it. Learn something else, right? If yes. it's that. Um, so, and then, well, why are we learning that? And then, well, and then you can think about, well, how can that help you later on in life? Okay. It might seem like, oh, I don't know why I'm learning, what, learning it now. But then if you future pace and you think, well, what could I do later on with this information? Then is it a useful thing to learn? So that's another way to look at it. Mm -hmm. If you can't answer those, either of those questions adequately, then it really is defunct. Like, mm -hmm. why have I learned quadratic equations? I could not hand on heart tell you. I have never used them in all my well, my 55 years, I've never used a quadratic equation. I would love to meet somebody who does so that I understand why they're taught in maths, because I don't know. But it's funny that you say that because I would tell my students, why you, you're learning this is because the state test is going to ask you. That's the only reason. Yes. That's, That's awesome. the only reason. That's yes. right. So you learn it by rote and then forget it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, and then push it out of your brain. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on to this, to the second. Exactly that. Like sometimes you have to be honest and say, well, you're just learning this to pass the test. And if yes. you want to pass the test, that's fine. Learn it. So that why is really important. And that's part of our curiosity pillar. Our next pillar is clarity. And you can probably see that I love to be clear on, on what it is we're talking about or on where the student, where is their gaps in their knowledge? Where do they need to go? What, what do they need to do to get there? Like, let's not sugarcoat things. Let's be really clear. Okay, this is where you're at. This is what you want to get to. These are the steps you need to take. Let's break it down and make it really uh, manageable for people. And clear for the parents, because there are so many acronyms in education. And when you get a gaggle of teachers together or whatever the, <laughs> the collective noun is, I don't know, but that looks quite good. 
then we can be talking in acronyms. And if somebody were to walk in the room, they wouldn't have a clue what we were talking about. So making sure that everybody's on the same page and is clear with what it is that's being taught and being discussed. So clarity, super important. And then the final pillar is collaboration. I think that one of the key things that I realized is that we have to have this, this tutor or mentor, parent and student kind of triangle going on, right? Trifecta with all three people bringing everything to the table and talking about that. So I say to parents, I'm not here to babysit your child. You're not just sending them to me for an hour so that you can go and make the tea. Like by all means, make the tea, but let's have a conversation at the end of the month, right? Let's have a proper consult. Let's actually talk about what's going on in your whole family because you can't just detach you're the student and take them out of their family and plunk them into a learning environment and go, right, let's get on now. We always have a, a check-in at the beginning of all of our lessons. And one of my students this week, for example, he put a really low score from one to 10 and he messaged me privately and he's got, a, he said, I've got some really serious family issues going on, which I don't want to talk about, but I needed to know that so that I wasn't calling him out on stuff that he wasn't ready to share. And so that I could support him during the lesson with that and understand if he had to turn his Zoom off or whatever. So it's understanding that you're bringing this whole holistic environment into the classroom and acknowledging that. And this is where collaboration really, really has to uh, take the fall because parents and educators need to be on the same team. And so from state schools in the system, we're not. Like for some reason, parents think, Teachers are on the other side, but actually, ultimately, all we want is for young people, well, for me anyway, I can't speak for other people, other teachers, but I'm pretty sure, but all I want as an educator is for any child who comes to me for learning is for them to, to get what they need to become fully self-expressed in the world. We want what's best for your child. So let's do this together. And I agree that it's not an isolation. A kid going to school is not just about the kid, it's like the collaboration with a parent because the parent wants what's best for their kid, but we need to kind of join that together. Yeah. And that may, that makes a much more powerful learning experience for the student as well. And so when, when that comes to literacy, so how do those pillars actually uh, come into play when it comes to that digital literacy? Well, it's the same thing. So with the curiosity, it's the quality of the question that you ask, right? I encourage digital literacy in my classes, actually. I encourage young people to use AI. I encourage young people to use Google. And if they don't get the question that they want, I encourage them to ask better questions. The quality of the answer you receive depends on the quality of the question that you ask. If you don't like the answer, ask a better question. Yes. Right? Same as if you don't like your life as it's panned out in front of you, think a better thought. Yeah. Right. And that questioning is going to be the thing that steps and the curiosity actually that steps young people into the workforce as being somebody who can't be replaced by AI. Mm -hmm. So we need to have that curiosity, that creativity and asking those better questions. And then when it comes to the digital literacy with the clarity, well, that is like, again, well, why, why am I doing this? Why am I gaming for 24 hours a day? Okay. There's something else missing in my life, right? I'm addicted to it. Okay, so we need to talk about that. Or it's about asking, like I say, a better question. Well, why have I got thousands of, of things come up which aren't answering what I want to know? Okay, 
I need to be more specific. I need to be more niche. And so all of these are really, really important skills. And then the collaboration again is about doing it with the parent. I went in the other day to see my son and he was gaming on his computer. And, and I sat down and I was asking him about the game. Oh my goodness. It was amazing. It was fabulous. I was not surprised that he was on this game. Like, wow, from a, a creative storytelling perspective, it was amazing. And the special effects and everything, it, it was an absolute work of art. It was next level. And so I think actually sitting down and doing these things with our young people, understanding what worlds they're taking themselves into. I was thinking about this before this conversation today. I was thinking that's no different than me going and sitting in a nook with a book, because what I'm doing is I'm escaping into a different world, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that escapism is the same. The creativity is the same. The making the characters is the same. You decide, but the beauty of a game over a book is that you get to be the creator currently of the game because you're deciding my character. So Oscar said to me, well, my character's a healer mom. Well, how amazing, how yes. amazing. It's not just all guns and fighting and what you think it is at all. It's not, it's this whole hero's journey. Like it was, it blew me away. I was so like blinkered before I sat down and got him to explain to me the intricacies of this game and why he'd chosen certain characters and certain powers and what he was hoping to achieve by that. And so I think if we can have a conversation or like you say, a conversation around this so that we're not so blinkered and bigoted. And by doing that, of course, he's not gaming so much. He's actually interacting with me, right? Yeah. Actually, even though we're in front of the game, he's stopped playing it. He's interacting with me. And so, yeah, it's about a shared experience rather than just they're in their room playing a game. I'm going to just wait till they come down and grunt for food. Right. Which doesn't need to be like that. So, yeah. So for me, that curiosity and that collaboration has really opened up that relationship with my son when it comes to that, that digital side of life. And you know, when you sit down next to him and talk to him about it or ask him about it, he doesn't see you as like, oh, mom's going to tell me to stop using gaming again or whatever it is. It's like, oh, mom kind of understands this a little more and that will lead to a deeper relationship. Yes, absolutely. And then when I do say to him, okay, it's time to stop now or let's do something else or come down, let's do something together. Then he will because we've built, we've built up that, that relationship. And as you say, it's not antagonistic. And so the other thing around that, about, about that relationship as well, and I've made a note here, don't know if it was to particularly answer a, a particular question, but is to really trust our young people, really trust our young people. They do know, they do know what's good for them. They do know what's not good for them. Yeah. If you put your work in when they were little, they do know. And, and I think there is an element of letting go and trusting them. Oscar knows if he's been gaming too long because he will feel funny. He'll feel it in his body, get headache or be dehydrated or something like that. So yeah, I think it's about giving our young people some, some space to maneuver and some trust and not that helicopter parenting and actually take an interest, take time away from your screen to go and sit with them. Yeah. But I, and I think it's key what you said was if you put the time in when they were little, because we can't just expect to have that great relationship when they're 14 if you didn't put the work in when they were 
three and five and eight and 10, it makes a difference. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So I wanted to, to jump back to something with education because just because I was a teacher for so long. So what do you think needs to happen to change the face of education in an era of digital dependency? Yeah. So, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? The digital dependency, yes, we are all dependent on our devices, but I think that we as adults need to really remember that we need to model the behavior we want to see. So if you're taking your family out for lunch and you're sitting on your phone and your husband's sitting on the phone and then you're back home and you're having supper and you say to them, our house rule is no phones at the table. Why should your children listen to you? And I had, and I say this because I had this experience. I was saying to my son, Oscar, I said, oh, you're always on a screen. You're either gaming upstairs or you come downstairs and you're watching telly or you're sitting on the sofa on your phone or you're in the kitchen on your iPad and then you're back upstairs in your room on your, on your game. Like, this is terrible. You need to be, you need to be on screens less, right? As every mother in the world is saying, tearing their hair out. Now, he said to me, well, mum, let's have a look at our phones and let's look at the statistics and see who is on, uh, on social media and on our phones most. And of course it was me because I'm running an online business on my phone. So I said, well, fair enough. Right. What can I say? Fair enough. Thank you for showing that to me. So let's make sure that we charge our phones downstairs at night so we don't wake up with them next to the bed so that at least we've got five minutes to stretch and yawn and before we go downstairs and look at our phones. Right? Oh, and kudos to you for not getting upset when your son pointed that out to you. Because I think a lot of parents do get upset like, well, the adult and I should be able to look at my phone whenever I want or, or whatever the reason is. And I don't find that to be true because like you said in the beginning, when I asked you this was, it's about adults modeling good behavior. That's it. So are we worried about our children being digitally dependent? Well, actually, do we need to look at our own dependency? Yeah, it might be shining a light on things that like, well, I mean, one of the things during lockdown, there was the, there was the rise of an app and a platform called Clubhouse, which some listeners may know. And I used to go out for my walks and I used to enjoy being unplugged during my walks. Like my friend was on, so it would count my steps, but that was it kind of thing. And then Clubhouse became a thing. And I was like, this is amazing. I can listen to interesting conversations and take part in interesting conversations. And I realized that I was doing that on my walks and that actually I was filling my mind with chatter in the one sort of time of the day where I was supposed to be quietening my mind. And it was really, really hard to switch off after that. Really hard. Like I wasn't ready to come back and then do work and do podcasts and teach and be chatter, 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 right? Mm. Because I hadn't had my quiet time. Mm. And so it's about understanding that as well, that, that, that mental health aspect. Those tools that we talked about at the beginning about having that balance, having time in nature, having time when you are unplugged. And if as adults, we're not doing that, then we can't expect our kids to do it. And they know. My son said to me, man, for goodness sake, go for your walk. Do work, right? Out of the house. Because they know I come back with a different energy, more grounded and yeah, more space. It's a way of filling my cup so that I can then serve others. 
So yeah. not running on empty. If you always have, if you never have this digital detox, then you can't expect, you can't expect to be at your maximum. Okay. And you can't expect your children to then suddenly have a digital detox as well. When you go right nine o'clock, that's it. Lights out. Wi-Fi's off. What? Huh? What? Yeah. <laughs> they on as much as they do. So we, we, we were talking earlier about education and, and when you said that if kids don't understand the why they're learning what they're learning, then maybe they shouldn't have to. So I was wondering, how can we switch children back on to reading and writing? Yeah. I mean, that literacy is, is so important. And for me, what I really noticed when I started doing this during the pandemic, and I had mixed age groups, mixed ability children, children from all around the world, different backgrounds, bringing different things to the table. It was very, very interesting. I had to get out of my own way and actually become detached from the outcome. Detached from the outcome. So what I mean by that is, for example, I get young people to become published authors in a week, right? Then go from a blank piece of paper and no idea to planning, writing, illustrating, and editing a story to make it into a publishable book. Now, that in and of itself is quite remarkable. But when you put together the fact that I can have from 66 years to 14 years in a group, that I could have mixture of boys and girls, mixture of neurodiverse, some very talented and gifted writers, some families with English as a second language, right? All mixed together in this one group. It's actually quite a remarkable feat. And the reason that it's possible is because I'm detached from the outcome. Everybody is writing their own story and everybody's story and book is good enough because it's their first book and they're only six or 10 or 14 and they're writing a book in a week and that is good enough, right? And so if somebody writes 25 pages, somebody writes 41 pages, and somebody writes 14 pages, it's all still freaking phenomenal. Yeah, because it's their story. Right. And when you say, say it doesn't all have to look the same, this is what frees you up then for exploration and curiosity and collaboration and all the things I've talked about, creativity. Because yeah. your version, like, yes, we're using some of the same strategies and techniques. Of course, you're using capital letters and full stops. Of course, you're using decent sentence structure, right? We, of course, you're all planning at the beginning. Everybody's planning in a different way. We don't all use the same plan. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. We don't. So it was fabulous. And I was like, wow, there's such a range. And it means that six-year-olds can then be as clever as 12-year-olds because they've got the words inside them. And then mum's typing it up for them because it can't type there. When mum said she had twins, she said, I did not know my daughters knew this stuff. I did not know my daughters had this inside them at the age of six. So yeah. we as adults are putting ceilings on expectations of what we think is possible. Mm -hmm. Because nobody would think that a six-year-old can write a book in a week. So we're putting ceilings on what we think is possible. And we are stopping creativity by giving everybody the same kinds of templates and your plan looks this and you must do that and you must like this and three paragraphs in that section. And it's not helpful. The key was making sure that the work is relevant and meaningful to the student and that it's fun. Yes. 
creating a positive learning environment where they feel safe to ask questions, where they feel safe to make mistakes, where they feel safe to share their ideas, where they feel safe to give other people ideas as a gift. Here's a gift. You're stuck for an ending. I've got a brilliant idea. Here's my gift to you. Take your ending. I'm not using it for my story. How remarkable is that? To say that's so empowering for the kid. So empowering. Because somebody wants to use my idea in their book. Mm-hmm. Wow. I must be someone who has good ideas, right? I must be somebody that people want to listen to. Hold on a minute. I'm someone who's got a voice, right? Yes. It's like the next level for the kid. Claire, this is so amazing. I feel like I learned so much. And it's not just for the kid. Like I said, it was just empowering for the kid. But it's also enlightening for the parents as well. And to me, that's it's just a, another added benefit. So I was looking at your free resource, the Triumphant Student Toolkit. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I basically created that so that I could, well, I wanted students to feel triumphant, right? I want them to feel triumphant. Like, yes, I've done this. I can do this. And so, of course, this is around the, the growth mindset skills and things like that. And I thought if we could make sure that young people just have a few things to help make school that little bit easier, it will make a difference for them. So we've got things in there like navigating those big emotions, right? Lots of children suffer with severe school anxiety and refusal, for example, and how to unlock their confidence and resilience in the face of emotional challenges. It's easy to feel confident when everything's going well, right? But it's when you're facing that challenge where you're like, oh, I'm really trying, I'm getting setback after setback. That's when we need to build that resilience and confidence. Um, so what I've done as well, there's some things there about um, managing their time. We mentioned that's the only resource that's non-replenishable. So let's get students to understand that they're not, they're not sitting here to waste time, right? We need to make them productive. We need to empower them to balance their responsibilities and also just some, some things that they can use to maximize their time when they're doing homework as well so that they're not just sitting there thinking, I can't do this. I'm basing at this blank piece of paper. I don't know what the teacher meant. I drifted off in the lesson. Okay, let's think, what are some things that you can do to do that? And so the way that I've done that is there's, there's some short videos in there. There's some templates in there, some for parents, some for the children. There's tick lists, cheat sheets, all sorts of different things like that. Various different toolkits. There's a confidence masterclass in there as well. A, a little poster that they can put by their computer just for their homework, things like that. So it's just a small toolkit, easily accessible, downloadables that you can print at home, things that you can discuss and talk through with them and a few short videos that they can watch as well for all different kinds of learners so that they do become triumphant students. Well, it's funny you said it's it's little. It sounds like, I don't know about little, but it sounds like it's packed with amazing information. There's definitely a lot of value in there for sure. Thank you so much for sharing and for taking the time to speak with me today. I so appreciate it. I've loved being here, Kathy. Thank you so much. Okay, listeners. Please make sure you visit the speaker interview page and download all the incredible free resources. Be sure to listen to the other micro audio topics in this series so that you can have better relationships with your kids, more confidence in your parenting, 
end less stress in your life. Thanks for listening.